Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 54 of the Snyder Cut. I'm your laid-back, chillaxing host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider.com, and we are going to start today's show with a big, fat, told ya, Furiosa getting cast up, and we've got Anya Taylor-Joy stepping into some big shoes, filling, uh, replacing uh, Oscar winner Charlize Theron. We've got Chris Hemsworth playing Dementis, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II playing, uh, I think it's uh, Pretorius or something like that. Yeah. Anyways, we don't really know, aside from Furioso, what these characters are, how they fit into this Mad Max universe. But as far as like, you know, casting the next chapter of this franchise, I think it's a, they're off to a great start. Like Anya Taylor-Joy is really... She's a pretty solid actress. I, I didn't see New Mutants, obviously, so I can't speak to that. But I've heard really good things about the Queen's Gambit. You know, she she broke out in The Witch. Um, she's she's talented. What was she? she, was she in uh, Thoroughbreds? That was good. Like, th- 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 this girl's talented. And uh, so, you know, I'd initially heard Jodie Comer, but I think that she just proved to be a little bit too um, too old. I think she's just maybe a few years older than Anya. Jodie Comer, she seems older than she actually is. But uh, Hemsworth and Yaya Mateen Abdullah II. Sorry, one second. Yaya Abdul... God damn it. Who is calling right now? Yaya Abdul Mateen II is just everywhere these days, right? He's dominating. I mean, everybody loved him in Watchmen, uh, Ant-Man, like... I'm sorry, Aquaman... I'm getting my man, my A-man's confused. And I'm not sure if he's going to be a good guy or a bad guy in this. I feel like Chris Hemsworth is more of the villain, though. I think Dementis, he's going to have, like, this long silver chrome scar, you know, slicing across his face. Um, I don't know if he's being positioned as, like, the new hero in the vein of Max, or if Dementis is more of a... A villain. People, I've seen speculation that he was going to be playing like a young b- version of Morton Joe. I don't think that that is the case. Um, Furiosa, what do I think about this? I thought Fury Road was a little overrated. I thought it was very good. It, it like totally blew my mind action wise, but you guys know me. I love story and I just didn't feel like, you know, the story in Fury Road was all that. It was kind of just one long chase movie that they go across the desert, they come back. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, by exploring Furiosa's origin story, it's, it's able to just like delve more into character a little bit. Um, I mean, you know, obviously we're going for the stunts. That's what people want to see out of this franchise. And George Miller, I don't know how this guy's going to top himself. Like he did such an incredible job, him and his stunt team on Fury Road. Uh, he, he just set a really hard bar. Uh, he set a really high bar for himself. Again, another week. I can't talk. Why does George Miller, you know, want to continue playing in this Mad Max sandbox? I'm not really sure. I mean, I know he's got 3,000 years of longing, right, uh, lined up with Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. We haven't really heard too much about that project since it was first announced. 
you know, like no supporting cast or anything. And that's a pretty ambitious movie with a long post-production period, I would imagine. So, so I can't, I mean, Furious has got to be like a ways off, right? Maybe start shooting in 2022. Is, is that what people are like starting to get things lined up for? Cause I mean, Hemsworth has to go and shoot uh, Thor Love and Thunder. So Anyways, those three guys, you know, those three actors, though, a, a solid start, I would say, for Furiosa. And that's why you guys got to watch the show every week for the rumor of the week. I don't have one this week. I, you know, I only, I don't just throw out ridiculous rumors like some of the stuff that I've been reading on social media lately from certain sites. You know who they are. Um, they just make things up. Like, I have to wait until I have a rumor that I don't think I, I will be able to confirm. So if I hear a good rumor, obviously I want to try to confirm it and write it up for the site. Unless it's something where, you know, George Miller is obviously sort of uh, conducting this train. I don't have George Miller's number. I I don't know that Warner Brothers, I'm sure that Warner Brothers arranged this even break with Furiosa and everything, but uh, I don't know if they are actually handling like all the deal. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it works on, on Mad Max or if he's like M night Shyamalan and like does everything himself and then just brings the package to Warner brothers. Um, but either way, yeah, that's how rumor of the week goes. It's like, if I can confirm something, I'm not going to put it out on the podcast, but if I think I'm going to have some trouble with it, then yeah, why not? Um, so both of those originated here at the Snyder cut. We've got, Oh, how about don't look up months ago. I think it was back in May. That I broke the news that Kate Blanchett was going to be joining Jennifer Lawrence in Adam McKay's sci-fi satire. This is definitely a movie with a comedic bent. And, you know, like there were some Leo rumors at the time back then, um, but then they kind of quickly went away. And now they are back and he has a posse with him. Like, holy shit. Um, Netflix announced this week it's going to be Jennifer Lawrence, Kate Blanchett, and Rob Morgan, as we previously knew about, Leonardo DiCaprio, Meryl Streep, Oscar Power right there, Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, Ariana Grande, Kid Cudi, Matthew Perry. I mean, Tomer Sisley, it's like, what a cast. And what's funny is, I don't really love Adam McKay's stuff. I didn't, I wasn't a huge big short person. I mean, I thought it was fine it was you know decent um but did i think it should have been showered with all these nominations no i didn't really understand that um vice did not care for vice at all so like i can't tell if like adam mckay is obviously a funny guy you know he's written some incredible comedies made some incredible comedies but like when he tries, like, sci-fi satire, this is going to be tricky. This, this is him trying to thread a needle. How did he line up such an amazing cast for this? I think it's probably, you know, th- this is a movie, he, he's been a big supporter of the environment. This is a movie that I imagine will bring up climate change of some kind, right? It's about, you know, scientists going on a media tour trying to convince all these stupid people around the world that we are, you know, uh, there, there is impending doom, imminent doom as uh, this asteroid approaches Earth. So I imagine that he appealed to this ensemble by being like, hey, this is, this is a good thing for the environment. We're going to raise awareness about climate change. 
I don't really know how else to explain this ensemble. It is just super duper impressive. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence alone, like she's sort of been on the sidelines the last few years, taking some time off. So for her to come back and want to do it with this project, I think speaks very highly of it. The fact that Leo would do it, that, that, you know, this is a Netflix movie, like Leo's next two movies are both for streamers. This is the biggest movie star in the world. He's going to be making movies for Netflix and for Apple. Now I'm sure both these movies are going to get select limited, uh, you know, theatrical releases, which is pretty much what all movies are these days. Uh, you know, now that universal has a 17 day window before it can throw stuff on, on VOD. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how long Netflix put this puts this out in the theaters, whether it'll get a full three or four week run like The Irishman did, Roma, whatever it is. Because, um, like, this is a movie that you kind of want to see on the big screen, right? That's where people like Leonardo DiCaprio and Meryl Streep and Jennifer Lawrence belong. I love I love that they got Jonah Hill. I mean, that that that's awesome. Him and Timmy. I hope that they have a few scenes together because I like their, their energy together. It could be uh, quite interesting. And yeah, you know, I, I like Kid Cudi. I, he's, he's a better actor than I think he gets credit for a lot of times. I think it's great to see Matthew Perry who, who never really got that, uh, you know, big project post friends. And, you know, like he just, you haven't seen him like you have Jennifer Aniston or some others. So yeah, don't look up. Pretty impressive, Netflix. Nice going. Uh, Netflix and a bunch of others did lose out on the rights to this Cleopatra movie with Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins. So Paramount won this one. Paramount is just selling off, you know, the studio piecemeal uh, with the exception of A Quiet Place 2 and Top Gun 2. So it was kind of interesting to see them prevail in, in this kind of an auction. I'm sure... You know, uh, the others must have just had their limits on this package or whatever. I don't know why Paramount was so hungry for it. Personally, like when I first heard the news, my initial reaction was just like, do 18 year olds want to see movies about Cleopatra? Like, I just, I don't know. The, the, the people who we grew up with, the, those, you know, even, you know, I, I guess I was born in 84. So, you know, there's no internet by the time I'm six, eight, or maybe the you know very early internet, but I, I don't have access to it. And so, like you're you're the the people who you think of as like you know uh, historical figures and, and and that you know the the celebrities of history, if you will. I just think it's totally different. Like our kids these days, is that who they're googling? Cleopatra? Is that who they're studying? Like there's just so many other people more relevant to their times. You know, and the internet has given everybody access to that. So I just don't see kids thinking or talking about Cleopatra. Not that this movie has to be for kids, but like, okay, so so teenagers aren't coming. Like, who, who is this movie for? Like, just old people? Like, history buffs? I feel like old people are going to, like, take the longest to return to theaters. I don't know. Gal Gadot, here's the other thing about her. Is she a movie star? Is she? She is Wonder Woman, and those movies open big. But, like, if you put Gal Gadot in Keeping Up with the Joneses or just – if you put Gal Gadot in Bird Box, does Bird Box still get 80 million views on Netflix or whatever it is? I just um, – I don't know. 
that she is the per- type of person who can open a big, expensive movie like this that's not connected, you know, to a comic book or isn't Wonder Woman. Patty Jenkins, good director. I mean, but like this epic, it seems I don't want to say it's outside her grasp, but like I, I guess I just wanted to see the Sony version of this. Right, the version that like Amy Pascal and Rudin and all these people were trying to get off of the ground with, with Angelina Jolie. And like, I don't remember this outcry either about when Angelina Jolie was cast as Cleopatra. Maybe that's just a reflection of where we are these days. But you know, the big controversy surrounding this project has been Gal Gadot and her Israeli roots. And you know, Cleopatra was Egyptian. Uh, and it's like, I don't understand what people want anymore. From movies, do they do they want to see good stories told? Do they want to see the stars they love, or do they just want to see Egyptian people playing Egyptians? Like, who is the biggest biggest Egyptian movie star in the world? I'm a pretty major film reporter. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. So, if Gal, like, if you can go and get Gal Gadot, do it. Who, like, who, just who cares? Who cares? I'm so sick of it. I'm. It's just crazy to me. You got people really bitching that there's not an Egyptian actress being cast as Cleopatra. Some unknown is supposed to carry this movie with a $100 million budget. This is a business. Hollywood is a business. Okay? It's about making money. You think it's about making art, and sometimes it is. But most of the time, it's about making money, okay? And people just don't understand that. And these people have infiltrated the media, okay? There used to be people who could think for themselves and who could recognize this town for what it is. And instead, it's just people trying to make this town into something that it's not. This is not the place for fairness and equality. That is not Hollywood. It's it's an idealized version of Hollywood. And I, I wish, you know, I wish we could just, I wish there wasn't an Egyptian talent who we could point to and be like, that woman should have been cast. But that woman doesn't exist, okay? And it's just, it's just wild. It's wild to me. People were upset about Gal Gadot being cast as Cleopatra. I say good luck to Paramount because I don't know who the hell is rushing out to see this on a Friday night. Good luck. Hats off. Uh, let's talk about a movie that people actually do want to see. No Time to Die. James Bond, 25. Um, a lot of, lot of stuff in the air about Bond this week. Tied to this Wall Street Journal profile slash interview of Kerry Fukunaga. The Bond producers want him back, baby. They said he did such a good job. He brought such intelligence to it and emotion. And I did think it was kind of interesting that Kerry Fukunaga had pitched himself for this job by sort of going, you know, I think he had a, a lunch or something with Barbara Broccoli. And he said, listen, look at the movies I've made. Sin Nombre, Jane Eyre, Beasts of No Nation. These are movies about orphans. And that's how I see James Bond. It's a pretty good line. It's a pretty good sell. I can see why Barbara went for that. And I think, you, you know, just by looking at the trailers, you can tell like the, the action is on par with, with past installments. He, he's, he's got a lot going on here. You know, you're trying to introduce a new 007 in Lashana Lynch. 
You've got you got to figure, you know, uh, finish the the Blofeld and, and Madeline Swan stories and that kind of stuff. You got to say goodbye to Daniel Craig, and then you're introducing, you know, Robbie Malik, hot off this Oscar win, and his Sapin or something like that. And he's going to have this whole backstory with, with Madeline Swan, I think. You know, Wall Street Journal got an, an early look at the opening scene, which sounded super cool. Um, and then you know, tied to the Bond franchise of it all. We found out also from the Wall Street Journal that MGM has put itself on the block. It's shopping itself, which may be why MGM's being so aggressive of late. Like, whenever you hear about these bidding wars, it's always Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and MGM. And it's like, what, you know, when did MGM get these kind of deep pockets that these others have? I think they're just, you know, stockpiling stuff to make them, you know, look attractive to to a, a suitor. Say, look, we've got all these high-profile uh, projects in the works and whatnot. So, anyways, Wall Street Journal reports that it is, in fact, Amazon, Apple, and Facebook looking at MGM along with Comcast. So, could you see, you know, Comcast has the theme park. Now, it doesn't have the theme park right now because it's closed. But can you imagine them exploiting the James Bond you know, brand inside of Universal Studios and, and you have a James Bond ride or whatever it is, that is an advantage that, that Comcast has, obviously. Um, but don't sleep on Apple, man. I could definitely see Apple making a play for, for MGM and, and thus for Bond because uh, I believe it comes with it. And then there was another little thing in this uh, Kerry Fukunaga article just about his Hiroshima movie. I got a new writer. It's got Oscar winner Tom Stoppard, who did Shakespeare in Love. I thought that was interesting. Like I, I'm, I'm. That's like a movie I want to see. Actually, it is a movie telling the stories of the different people involved in, in the Hiroshima bombing, and that would be from you know the scientists who worked on it in in the New Mexico desert to the people on the ground, the victims of, of the bomb, to the pilots who flew it over, to the world leaders making the decision to drop it in the first place. It was. Uh, it, it, it sounds like it could be really good. Sounds like something I haven't necessarily seen before. Um, and in Kerry Fukunaga's hands, I think it could turn turn out great. So I'm glad that he brought in a world-class writer like Tom Stoppard to sort of get this project across the finish line. Be nice to see him turn his attention to, to Shockwave. Um, you know, once No Time to Die actually hits theaters. But maybe we'll get a very quick announcement from, from Eon saying Kerry's coming back for, for 26 and he's going to be picking out, you know, the new 007. That could be, you know, very enticing for him. Or maybe, you know, someone else will step in and Kerry will come back down the line, sort of like uh, Martin Campbell did. Um, Gladiator duo Joaquin Phoenix and Ridley Scott reteaming for a Napoleon movie titled Kitbag. Now, Napoleon's a lot like Cleopatra, where it's like, you know, do people want to see this this, this historical figure? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I would rather see a, a Napoleon movie than a Cleopatra movie. But at the same time, I don't know, do, 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 would, would women rather see Cleopatra than Napoleon? Probably. So maybe, maybe that's just a male-female thing. Um, man, Napoleon. I didn't. I wouldn't have pictured Joaquin Phoenix, but I can see it. Yeah. So he's five eight. I think Napoleon was five six. Obviously, we have. You know, we picture this kind of uh, 
man of small stature who looms large on the battlefield. And I think it's going to explore, in addition to, you know, his military victories and, and his brilliant strategic mind, his relationship with his wife. So I wonder if we could be seeing a Rooney reteam. I know she just had a baby, so you know, that may be a, a tall order. But uh, it would be like I didn't see Mary Magdalene. That's an, see that's another movie where it's like ah, this great historical figure, right? Mary Magdalene, come see the untold story. And I know that got caught up in the Weinstein Company of it all, but like, who that movie is out now, right? Who, who went to see that? Who, who wanted to catch up about that? Nobody cares about this stuff. You think that they do, but they really don't. I promise. I mean, I'm sure Napoleon and Cleopatra will do better than the Mary Magdalene movie, but still. Um, so Kitbag comes from this saying that's like, you know, there, there's a, a general or you know, there's a leader inside every soldier's Kitbag. Every, every soldier has it in them to, to be a leader. Uh, I don't know if that is entirely true, but I've never served in the military. So what can I say? Um, I like the idea of walking, working with Ridley. Ridley, though, this is like another movie that, that can't really go before 2022 at the earliest. So this guy is turning, I think, 83 next month. He just finished The Last Duel. That just wrapped filming yesterday. So now he's going to do, you know, post-production on that. He's going to start doing Gucci in like six months, I think, next March. Gucci, you know, reteaming with Adam Driver. And then... This will be after Gucci. Now, Ridley Scott obviously, you know, fucking attaches to like a zillion projects. So who knows if this will ever happen? And like, do any of these guys ever start feeling their age? Does Ridley Scott ever wake up feeling 83 years old and being like, fuck, I just want to like have my tea and read the paper and like futz about in the garden all day? Like, I mean, I kind of love that that there are guys like him and, and you know, whoever it may be, even if it's Woody Allen who's, who's just pumping out the same kind of uninteresting movies of late. Um, it, it is cool to see these guys, they're just going to drop dead on set. Clint Eastwood's going to drop dead, you know, framing a shot or something. But on the other hand, it's like, I guess if you're an artist, you just have this desire to tell stories. But I don't, like, doesn't retirement come into it? Like, is Gene Hackman the rare exception where someone who's just like, you know what? I accomplished a lot in this business. I, it gave me everything that I have. I'm grateful. It's time to, to focus on the next chapter of my life and just, you know, get back to being a, a normal guy or whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe that happens more with actors because they're in front of the camera and they don't want the limelight or anything. It doesn't seem to happen with directors. You don't see a lot of directors calling up quits, quits or retiring. Um, coming to America. This was a big one this week. Coming to America, moving from Paramount to Amazon. This was inevitable. Anybody who thought Paramount was like ever putting this movie out or sticking with it through this pandemic was nuts. Yeah, this was always moving. Although I am surprised it didn't move to Netflix. You know, Netflix just did My Name is Dolomite with Eddie. They loved him. They put him on the cover of that first Q magazine thing. Um... Yeah, and I think that he has deals for for comedy specials. So, like, Netflix is very invested in Eddie Murphy. I wonder why they didn't get into this. Was it just, is the movie not good? Is the price tag too high? Was Eddie too much of a pain in the ass? And and you know he's going to be a pain in the ass on this one? Like, 
I don't know what what Eddie's expectations are for this. Is he expecting Golden Globe nominations? I'm not a big coming to America guy. Uh, I mean, growing up, I'd always heard about coming to America. But I, I never, even after I watched it, I didn't really get what made this one of the funniest movies ever. I never really understood about Blazing Saddles either. So maybe I'm just not that guy. I, I'm more into the Apatow, Rogan, Franco style of humor. But uh, $125 million, that's basically what? As if this movie had grossed $250 million at the box office, right? Because then Paramount would have gotten half of that. But they would have had to spend on a whole marketing campaign, which they hadn't spent on yet. So this is probably the right play for Paramount. I mean, again, it brings in guaranteed cash flow. You're getting $125 million. You don't have to bother your marketing staff. You can even lay off some marketing staff, probably, since you don't have anything to market until next spring, right, with A Quiet Place? Is that is that next spring or next fall? I forget. But, like, those are the next two movies. Or I guess they have, I think that they have an animated movie, like a Rumble, one, maybe the wrestling one or something, that maybe early next year. But, like, I think that, that's it for Paramount for the, for, for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, smart, smart move getting rid of that movie. Amazon, even though, like, I may not be dying to see Coming to America, this is a smart play for Amazon as well. This is, like, a very impressive one-two punch uh, you know, on the heels of the Borat 2 acquisition. So people are feeling down right now, particularly around the election. And who knows what the hell is going to happen in a few weeks, right? They want to laugh. They want to feel good. And so if you're Amazon, you can get your hands on Borat 2 and Coming to America, these, you know, high-profile sequels, are arguably the two biggest movies the rest of the year. I mean, besides Wonder Woman 1984, and who knows if that moves. So Amazon can't blame you for, for getting into, into this comedy business with, the, with these two sequels. Although I have a feeling more people will be watching Borat 2 than Coming to America. We'll see, though. Dexter, coming back for a 10-episode limited series on Showtime now. That is exciting. I love Dexter. Did the last season go off the rails? Absolutely. Right? I mean... He moves to Alaska or something, become a lumberjack. Like, what the fuck? It was not a good ending. I don't think anybody involved thought it was a good ending. I don't think Michael C. Hall was happy with it. And so, you know, hopefully this limited series can give Dexter the ending that he deserves. Now, what is that ending that Dexter deserves? Dexter deserves to die. Dexter, even though he kills killers, right? This guy is a fucking serial killer. (laughs) Like, let the Justice Department do its thing, buddy. So I... I feel like the only just ending, the only thing that could possibly happen for Dexter is that he gets what's coming to him. Um, and, that, and that seems fitting. Now, I don't know what supporting cast members will be back. I assume Yvonne Strahovski because she went off with his, his son at the end of uh, season eight. Um, oh, it'd be great. It'd be great to see Jennifer Carpenter's Deb. Deb Morgan, but she, you know, she did not survive the series. So if she did appear, it would only really be in flashbacks. Although, you know, the, sh- the show obviously has a history of flashbacks and James Ramallah's dad and all that stuff. Um, I just think it's cool, like, to see him coming back to TV. Like, Dexter was a big show, but it was never, like, 
gigantic. And I think the people were honestly grossed out about it a little. Like they had some some qualms about it. Maybe it was all the blood spatter, you know, which was like a prominent part of the key arcs for every season. And yet now everyone is just watching these true crime documentaries. It's like, hey, gather around the TV. We're going to watch this guy murder his whole family tonight. So, so I think it, maybe the appetites and tastes have changed, and, and maybe Dexter will be even bigger this this time around. They are bringing back Clyde Phillips, who I think left the show after season four, uh, and then the show started to go downhill. So him coming back is also a big boost for for that show. Selena Gomez is doing a, a, a horror thriller titled Dollhouse, which I believe is like Black Swan, but set in the the you know uh, upper echelon of, of the, New York City's fashion world. That sounds interesting. Um, there's a Space Mountain movie from Joby Harold. He's the writer behind uh, the Obi-Wan series coming up. They've been trying to do a Space Mountain movie for friggin' years. I mean, Space Mountain, when I was a kid, was the best known ride at the park. I mean, besides like the teacups or now, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, like Space Mountain, was the ride that everybody waited two and a half, three hours in line to go on. Um, so it makes sense, particularly with, you know, Disney mining the rest of its theme park uh, rides and stuff, whether it's Pirates of the Caribbean or, you know, whatever the hell it is. Joby Harold hasn't really impressed me as a writer. He did, you know, the King Arthur movie. I didn't even bother seeing with Charlie Hunnam. I mean, he's had his hand in, hands in a whole bunch of stuff, but uh, as both a writer and a producer whatever he's kind of like a shrug to, to me he, he seems like one of these guys who just keeps getting hired and hired and hired and, and maybe you know he's like a, an Evan Spiliotopoulos type like comes in is a is a pro can you know improve your draft or whatever it is but I still don't think like he's working he's done a lot of great stuff um Netflix speaking of great stuff this is this as smart a move as it was for Amazon to get Borat and, and coming to America. I think this was pretty smart on Netflix to get the Elf on the Shelf rights. So they're going to be doing live action and animated movies and all that kind of stuff. Movie specials, TV shows. They get the whole brand to exploit. And people love Elf on the Shelf. They love Christmas content. They're hungry for that crap. Like I think Netflix just announced a whole, you know, Christmas lineup. Like they want to compete. Ooh. They want to compete with Hallmark Channel on that stuff because it just it gets eyeballs. People love watching. They just want like a big warm hug around the holidays. A lot of people spend the holidays alone, and and that they just want familiar stories and stuff. So Netflix has this whole Christmas thing going this year. I think there are going to be a couple of uh, Elf on the Shelf specials or maybe previously produced short films that will now be available. For Christmas on Netflix. Uh, but yeah, you know, I didn't have an elf on the shelf growing up. I had a Hanukkah Harry, whatever the hell it was. I don't know. I don't know how many people have elves on their shelves. But uh, sure, whatever. Good job, Netflix. If this thing was up for grabs, somebody was going to go and get it. Why not uh, dig into that uh, treasure chest of yours and, and get it yourself? Angelina Jolie and Christoph Waltz starring in this indie drama, Every Note Played. I think this is like an STX title. Christoph Waltz going to be playing a musician or conductor of some kind. 
who you know gets some life changing diagnosis, and I think Angelina is there his. I forget if she's an estranged wife or an ex-wife or something, and she comes back to to help him out. Seems like a great role for Christoph Waltz. Not sure I'm buying it for Angie. Don't see them being a former couple. Uh, Is this just like that Kevin Hart, Brian Cranston movie or something? Like, I don't know. This is just not my favorite kind of genre movie, and and I do want to see Angelina... I want to see her get back to like making cool movies like Salt and Wanted for adults, not just Maleficent stuff. I also want to see her do more serious stuff that can really show that she can act. This is just, it doesn't quite fit what I'm looking for from her. Um, But they are attached for now. We'll see if those attachments stick. Soul. I got soul. Coming to Christmas Day on uh, Diz to Disney Plus. I guess this was inevitable. I mean, for months, Disney had told me that's not what's happening with Soul. We're not putting it on Disney+. Plus. But I think there was a lot more optimism months ago, you know, that, that we'd be returning to normal by Thanksgiving, by, you know, by Christmas. And I just don't know that that's the case. And when, you're, when you've got an animated movie for kids, you, you can't just, you know, the kids can't get to the theater on their own. They need parents to come. Parents are reluctant to go themselves. They're reluctant to sit there with kids who already forget the pandemic have just tons of germs and are always spreading sickness. Like can't do it. Can't have the kiddies in the theater. Can't have the parents there either. So this will be a a, a nice little for all Disney plus subscribers on Christmas day, waiting for us under the tree. And it's going to be in front of the paywall so that we won't have to worry about, uh, you know, paying 30 bucks like Mulan. And, and I, I, that's not to say that this experiment from Mulan didn't work out. That's how a lot of people interpreted that. I, I don't think so. I think Mulan, I think it just did did just fine under the circumstances. I mean, $30 is like a, when you look at the number, you're like, oh, I don't want to pay $30 for that. But I think a lot of people did because it did prove to be a bargain for, for families with multiple children. Um. And listen, there were a lot of adults that wanted to see it too. These are two completely different things. This is apples and oranges. One is a live action movie with, you know, people you don't really know for the most part in Mulan. And, it, you know, it, it's, just, it's a historical, like, war movie. Like, this is an animated Pixar film with, Sam, with uh, sorry, with Jamie Foxx. Like, completely different audiences, completely different you know, financial realities and everything. And so kudos to Disney for putting this in front of the paywall and sharing this with everybody. Cause I think everybody could really use this around the holidays too. And I've heard it's great. I mean, the reviews are through the roof. Like they're saying this is something special. I hope they're right. What I found <clears throat> is that the critics, because there haven't been as many good movies, when they see anything that's like remotely good, they're really like doing fucking backflips. Like very mixed reviews this week out of uh, New York Film Festival for French Exit. And, you know, some people thought it was like ridiculous, just like, you know, faux Wes Anderson garbage. And other people thought it was like amazing. You've got Variety saying that this is the role that Michelle Pfeiffer is going to be remembered for. Like, Michelle Pfeiffer's a screen legend, and Peter DeBruge is a good critic. Like, 
I, I don't think of Peter as being one prone to hyperbole. And, and I believe it was him who wrote that, that like, this is going to be the role Michelle's remembered for. Those are fighting words, my friend. So this movie better fucking deliver. Um, and if, even if it doesn't, she, like it, it better be a great role for Michelle because otherwise I'm just left to think that this pandemic has done a number on critics. <laughs> you know, like they're just flipping for stuff that's just not that great. Trial of Chicago 7, like I said before, good movie. I it's hard to deny that's a good movie. Is it a great movie? Is it a classic? No. Like, what? It's a, it's a fucking Netflix movie. I know Netflix didn't make it, so it's not fair to call it that. But believe me, it fits right in with like Netflix's idea of what a prestige movie is. Irishman. Trial of Chicago 7. Trial of Chicago 7 is better, the best of those three movies, quite frankly. But it's still... It's missing something. If it wasn't missing something, Paramount wouldn't have gotten rid of it. But you're all going to find that out for yourselves tomorrow because that hits uh, Netflix tomorrow. Um, God, a lot left. Sarah Shahi joining Black Adam. I don't have a ton of familiarity with her, but she is on City on a Hill, and she is quite good on that show. Someone involved with Black Adam, whether it's Dwayne Johnson or John McCall and Sarah, they are loving City on a Hill because they've got Sarah Shahi now and they got Aldous Hodge. You know, it's like half the cast of Black Adam is from City on a Hill. Meanwhile, Kevin Bacon this week signed on to direct A Problem of Providence, an indie dark comedy set in an Alaskan town. And so, like, with all these people going off to, to make Black Adam and Kevin Bacon, uh, you know, directing a movie, I, I was like, shit, like, is City on a Hill not coming back? But, I, I, you know, it was renewed for season two. Hopefully we'll see it uh, next year. So I don't think that that is one that, you know, uh, got the axe. Like Showtime, you know, the axe on becoming a god in Central Florida, even though they've renewed that. Uh, they had ordered to pilot, they shot a pilot, I believe, for uh, The President is Missing. But I think that maybe they were in the middle of filming that pilot when COVID struck. And so they just announced yesterday, or rather, um, Ann Dowd gave it up to Variety during the Rebecca Junket, which is quite a scoop to get at the Rebecca Junket. And we will be talking about Rebecca before the end of this episode. Um, anyways, uh, president is missing. Showtime got rid of that, but I, I don't think City on the Hill uh, will, will have the same fate. I really like that show. Good cast too. Speaking of TV stuff, Joshua Jackson replacing Jamie Dornan in the Doctor Death series. This sounds interesting, and I think it could be. It can be. I think this is a limited series, but an ongoing like anthology thing because they, I think they're going to do a different Doctor every season. Joshua Jackson, we are living in the middle of the Joshua Jackson That's I, I have coined that. If you do decide to use that going forward, please credit me. The Joshua Jackson Um He was just, you know, he, he wrapped up the affair. I've loved this guy since he was a kid. Mighty Ducks, Dawson's Creek. I'm with this guy all the way. All those movies. What did I say? Urban legend, and gossip, and uh, cruel intentions. I mean, Joshua Jackson's a fucking man. So he does the affair. He just did When They See Us, right? A little role as a lawyer. He was in Little Fires Everywhere. And now he's got his own show, finally. He's graduated. He is the full lead in Dr. Death. He's going to be surrounded by Alec Baldwin and Christian Slater. And I'm into it. Totally into it. An upgrade, uh, at least actor-wise, over Jamie Dornan for sure. And we're going to be talking about Jamie Dornan uh, shortly as well. Very shortly. 
By the way, tonight, what do we got tonight? We got the two rival town halls. Gotta love NBC. Uh, we're just doing it for fairness. We gave Joe something at eight. Now we got to have Donald at eight. And give me a break, NBC. Like, it's just ridiculous. And you got all these celebrities launching hashtags, encouraging a boycott. Like, if Mariska Hargitay really wanted to make a statement, don't show up to work on the set of SVU. Then we'll see what NBC does. But yeah, you sign, you know, 100 people to a, to a piece of paper to, to show the rest of us how important it is to you. But NBC didn't give a fuck. They're fucking still doing it. Deb Patel, this one. This is a good project. I've, I've been looking forward to this project for a, a while. Deb Patel and Craig Gillespie, the director of I, Tonya, are teaming on the Chippendales movie. This was the last time that I'd report on this. It was going to be Alan Ball directing and... and uh, He's trying to get his, his, his partner to, to star as Steve Banerjee. That just what wasn't going to fly. But, right, Peter McDissey. Even though Peter McDissey is in Uncle Frank, we're going to talk about that too this, this, uh, later in the show. Because that just got a trailer that came out. But yeah, Peter McDissey was never the right guy for this. You need, you need someone like Dev Patel. Um, and when, God, Dev Patel in a Chippendales movie, like that headline got some clicks, let me tell you. Craig Gillespie is definitely the right guy for this. I loved what he did with I, Tanya in telling that, that true crime story. This one is going to be a little bit more vicious. I believe there is actual uh, murder, not just an, a kneecapping, if you will. This is, this is like a, a great project. It's, I think it's a David Permit who's behind this one. It's David Friendly and David Permit. I always fucking mix them up, but I think it's Permit. Um, yeah, they've, just, they've been trying to push this boulder up the hill for a long time now. And uh, and I feel like this is the one that, that's finally going to get across the finish line. This is a good team, and Patel and Gillespie signed me the fuck up. Don't worry, darling. Olivia Wilde added some new names. Douglas Smith, who I've always liked uh, since his big love days. Nick Kroll, uh, it'll be interesting to see him in a movie like this. And then Sidney Chandler, Kyle Chandler's daughter, who I said was going to get the lead in the uh, Urban Legend remake um i can't imagine this is that big a role for her so if urban legend does get going soon i think she would probably be able to do both um david yaravesky he the brightburn director i think he just lined up his new project night books with Kristen ritter sounded like a, a witch holding a kid hostage and then the kid has to keep telling scary stories so that he can survive I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see about that one. Although I, I buy Kristen Ritter as an evil witch. Uh, oh, I thought Timmy, Timmy's sister. And this was interesting. Like it was like almost within the same minute too. Timothy Chalamet joined Don't Look Up. And then his sister, Pauline Chalamet, I didn't even know he had a sister, joined uh, Mindy Kaling's series, The Sex Lives of College Girls. So keep an eye on that show with its uh, titillating title. Reed Moreno and Charlie Kaufman teaming on The Memory Police. That sounds really good. Where you know, like things keep disappearing from the world, and, and there's only one guy who like can you know can remember all these things, but you know before they disappear, and so like this woman has to like hide him in a basement or something. It sounds very much like a Charlie Kaufman script, although I'm glad he's not directing it, and and the film is in a little bit more capable hands with Reed Moreno. I'm not a fan of Charlie Kaufman, the director. He should stick to writing. Edgar Ramirez and Jessica Chastain doing this little indie losing Clementine. Universal picked up the remake of The Others. I don't know that that has any director cast yet. Um, it was sort of announced like it was a new project or something, and, and, and it's not. It was announced like last year 
uh, but now it has an actual studio behind it. Um, MGM doing a Sammy Davis Jr. biopic. I feel like there's a lot of Sammy Davis Jr. projects in the works. Um, to me, that, that that's just a project that comes down to casting. Like, I don't really care that Lena Waithe is the one producing it or not. Um, Sandra Bullock. Oh, these are some big projects that I have down at the bottom. Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds and the Knee Brothers, who did the Band of Robbers, they're getting together for this project, Lost City of D. That's right, Lost City of D. And you know what the D stands for. I believe this is about a romance novelist. I, and I thought that she, like teams up or gets saved by like the uh the male model who cover like who poses for the the character on the cover of her books but i think now he's the actor who stars in the movie adaptations of her books either way it's like a romancing the stone type of romantic adventure movie People love Sandra Bullock and Ryan, Ryan Reynolds together. They did the proposal. Um, I don't know when Ryan Reynolds fits this into a schedule, but it was just, just absolutely insane. But if Sandra Bullock can wait, uh, I would love to see the two of them work together again. And the Knee Brothers are definitely guys to keep an eye on. They're, they're, they are interesting. They have a voice. Jerry Butler's movie Greenland coming to VOD on December 18th before it drops on HBO Max. I'm looking forward to Greenland. I actually got some decent reviews this week. Um, And John David Washington stepping in for Michael B. Jordan in the David O. Russell movie known as Amsterdam. He's going to be joining it. It's Margot Robbie and Christian Bale. Bit of a downgrade to me. I think Michael B. Jordan is just a much better actor than John David Washington. But again, if I don't know why Michael B. Jordan dropped out of this, if, if, the role just wasn't what he envisioned it as, or if it was a scheduling thing from COVID, but whatever it is, um, John David Washington, like he's a good replacement, like star power wise, I think, particularly after Tenet, you know, people are familiar with this guy, even if Tenet only did a fraction of the box office, it should have, but uh, I don't know. He just, he strikes me as more of like a supporting player than a Michael B. Jordan does. And hopefully, you know, him and David Russell find another project to work on down the line. I'd always heard that they were going to do that uh, skyjacking movie. I heard it was going to be him and Margot too. So maybe, maybe he just didn't want to, maybe he just wanted his, that to be his, his first experience if that project ever gets off the ground. Uh, R.I.P. to Conchata Farrell from Two and a Half Men. She is, uh, you know, just a, a great character actress, w- was around for, for years. I forget how old she was when she passed, but I think she was in her 70s. She lived a, a fairly full life. Um, and yeah, I don't think you can discount her contributions to, excuse me, the world of cinema or, or Two and a Half Men, which was, you know, the most popular show in America for a long, long time. Speaking of, happy anniversary to Larry David. Uh, and, and his Curb Your Enthusiasm today, uh, I think it was 20 years ago today that Curb Your Enthusiasm debuted on HBO. I was up till 3 a.m. last night watching Curb episodes. Like The show never gets old, and I cannot wait for it to come back for an 11th season that will focus, hopefully, on COVID and the pandemic and just how crazy the, the new normal is, because I think Larry would have an absolute blast at that. Um, condolences to my fellow film reporter Beatrice Verhoeven over at The Wrap lost her grandmother this week I, I know that feeling, it, it sucks so hang in there Beatrice, we are with you please send her a nice note if you are watching this 
And now we got to do uh, trailers, reviews, and mailbags. This is a fun part of the show in the last 10, 12 minutes. Okay, let's talk turkey. Trailers, Hillbilly Elegy. I thought it looked good. Everybody was dumping on Hillbilly Elegy. Why? Because it's about white trash. And oh my God, look at look at uh, Glenn Close. And she's just gunning for that Oscar as Mimon. She looks ridiculous with her hair. And Amy Adams gained weight. And, and, and blah, 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 blah. Forget the Oscar race for now. Forget what else Netflix is doing. Did this movie look good to me? Yeah, it did. I thought, I mean, it's based on a, a huge book. Gabriel Basso, God, I've been watching this kid for like a decade. This is a big role for him. Like, there's no question about that. He is unproven as far as this kind of thing goes. But the trailer made me feel something. Like, I kind of got emotional toward towards the end of it. Um, so I don't really know know much about that. Like, it's just like a, a, a rags to riches thing, isn't it? Like, this guy who sort of comes out of this white trailer trash family and, and, you know, to make something of himself. I think that's like the arc, but uh, obviously a lot of, of time we're spending with Amy Adams and, and Glenn Close in this trailer. And for me, it worked. We got to look at uncle Frank today. This was a big Sundance title. I was really bummed that I missed it. I thought it looked fantastic. Another smart play by, by Amazon uh, on the acquisition front. Like I always love their festival acquisitions, whether it was, you know, they had a whole bunch of uh, late night and Brittany runs a marathon and, and the report and honey boy, like uncle Frank fits right in with that. You got Paul Bettany uh, playing a closeted gay uncle to Sophia Lillis. Um, this is an, an Alan Ball movie. And so Peter McDissey, his partner uh, stars as Paul Bettany's partner. And I, and I loved his character in the trailer. Um, this just looks like a great movie to watch with the family over the holidays. Like it, uh, I hope Paul Bettany gets some recognition because he, he looks tremendous in this. Uh, I love the Jungle Land trailer that we debuted exclusively on Collider this morning from Max Winkler. That's with Jack O'Connell and uh, Charlie Hunnam. It's a, it's a family boxing movie. I just l- love the vibe of the trailer. And it was, it's a completely different thing for, from Max Winkler, a uh, big change of pace for him. You know what? I, I, you know, I'm going to do a, I'll do a fucking rumor of the week. Sure. We'll, we'll do it at the end of the show since I've been holding that for ages and I don't know if anything will ever happen with it. But uh, yeah, Jungle Land, looking forward to that. We got a new trailer for The Informer, which is one of these, you know, prison crime movies that it's totally up my alley. This thing has been bumped like five or six different fucking times. It's uh, Joel Kinnaman, Clive Owen, Rosamund Pike, like great cast for like a, a B movie like this. So I think that is finally coming out on VOD in November, maybe? Seduced got a trailer. This is another Nick Savine, yeah, Nick Savine docuseries. I watched one episode of The Vow. I thought it was slow. Everyone's telling me to watch it. Roka's like, can you get me screeners? Stephanie's like, you know, tell me. She, has, she hasn't told me to watch anything since uh, Black is King. And, um, you know, she really wanted me to watch The Vow. But I just, it's, I can't, it's nine episodes. a big commitment for, for a docuseries. And again, it just moved like slowly. Like, what is the big thing in the vow that I need to see that I'm not getting from a news article? This show seduced, it may be stars, but at least it's four episodes. Like, at least it's manageable, you know what I mean? So, 
again, last night I found myself with almost nothing to watch. It, it was kind of bad last night, but I just couldn't bring myself to watch the Vow episode two. It seems, it seems so heavy. I don't know. Cults are weird. Um, Murder on Middle Beach. We got a trailer for that. That's about a kid whose mother got murdered in Connecticut and he made a documentary about it. Like a, as this, you know, as a way to keep her memory alive and, and investigate what happened to her. It seems like a very cathartic experience. And uh, I definitely want to check that out when it debuts on HBO. We got new trailers for Soul. And uh, I didn't, I don't want to see, I don't actually want to see a trailer for Soul. I want to go in blind to that one. Cause it's like, sounds like the trailer gives a lot away. I want to be completely surprised. Monster Hunter. That's Mia Jovovich trash. I don't, I don't watch that stuff. I, I don't think I've seen a Mia jo- Jovovich movie since fucking uh, Days and Confused. Like, I, I don't watch the Resident Evil movies. Listen, she has a fan base for sure. I'm, ju- I'm just not in it. You know, Monster Hunter and Love and Monster. And if you have Monster, unless you are just called Monster with Charlie's Theron, I, I pretty much am almost guaranteed not to like your movie. It's not that I don't like monsters or monster movies. Anything that actually puts monster in the title almost never turns out well. Horizon line. That looked okay. I mean, you know, you got uh, Allison Williams flying a plane, pilot suffers a heart attack and she's up there with her ex, which I thought was an interesting little twist. It's not just, you know, this couple left to fly a plane. There's actually some tension between them um, because they're they're flying to a mutual friend's wedding. Uh, So yeah, how do you, you know, they're, they're over the ocean. How do they, they, fly and land a plane in the middle of a storm when the pilot's dead. Yeah, that sounds like a a 90-minute toss-off that I I would be down to watch. The Kid Detective. I've heard good things about this one. This is with Adam Brody uh, playing a a kid who was a detective, and now he's, you know, Encyclopedia Brown grows up. I think he has to investigate a murder or something. Like I said, I've heard good things. Nine Days, I thought, looked good. This Everybody loved this movie at Sundance, or most people loved it. It definitely got some people being like, this movie's ridiculous. But I'm down to check it out. Interesting cast. Uh, everybody's talking about Jamie. I, uh, you know, that looked interesting. That, that should be a big crowd pleaser. And I think um, uh, Disney publishes that, that we're all friends with the Collider. Marshall, I think he put something out on social media saying, like, in his... 10, 15, whatever, however long he's been doing this for Disney. This is the first movie he's worked on with a gay lead. So that I thought was interesting. We got a new trailer for Promising Young Woman that is really capitalizing on the, the controversy of it all and the, how it's going to be this big buzzy talking point, which I think is the way to go. That's the way to sell it. And then The Stand, we got our first extended look at Josh Boone's The Stand, which has come to CBS All Access in December. Um, I thought it looked cool. It's, it, it is like Stephen King said, it, it looks big. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård, I thought it looked good. King sort of said, he kind of threw James Marsden under the bus. He was like, I don't think you can have a better Stu Redman than, than Gary Sinise. Like Stephen King, everything that I know about this guy, this is the polar opposite of, of what he does with his movies and shows leading up to release. He's always like, oh, it came out great. I'm so happy with this adaptation. And I, I'm just, I was surprised to hear him take a shot seemingly at James Marsden. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. That will actually get me to, to resubscribe to CBS All Access at least for a month. Reviews. I reviewed The Undoing, the new Nicole Kidman HBO series for uh, Collider. And I definitely like this more than uh, Inku Kang at, at THR who shit all over it. I gave it a B plus. Like I thought the, the pilot was slow. I didn't love the pilot. 
It felt like, you know, more of the same Big Little Lies shit. I watched half of season one of Big Little Lies and I was out. I didn't care who committed the murder. I did, And I didn't watch Big Little Lies season two, even when they added Meryl Streep. This is another, you know, privileged, wealthy white woman uh, in, in despair show. Um, so I was, I had some, some worries about it, but it totally picked up in the, in the uh, you know, the, the following episodes and, it's laid out a pretty interesting mystery. I just hope, like, it was also a little predictable. Like, I was, it was addictive. I'd tell myself, Jeff, you're only going to watch one, one more or two more, and I'd ended up, you know, watching a whole bunch in a row. But, uh, it, you know, it led to a place at the end of episode five where it just, I was like, oh, man, is this, is this what this show's going to be? Is this where this is heading? I mean, I had a feeling all along. But, so a, a little bit, a little predictable. But then again, when you're watching fucking dozens of these kinds of shows every year. There's only so many ways you're going to be surprised. The one thing I will say, and I hope HBO takes this advice to heart. I hope that any publicist watching this takes this advice to heart. And it's something, I don't know if I'm going to do it again. I don't know if I'm going to review TV shows that I haven't seen the end of. You send out five episodes of The Undoing. With Fargo, it's nine episodes. And I get it with Fargo. Utopia, seven episodes. Like, how do I, fu- like, in movies, you don't review a movie without seeing the fucking ending. How can I, like, I read my undoing. It's one thing to read it in the CMS before you publish it. But once it's on the site and it's live and it's like, this is what everybody's reading right now of yours, Jeff. Uh, I was like, how do, you, how do I give the show a B plus when I haven't seen the end? Stop doing this, companies. Show me the whole fucking show so I can review it. Or don't show me it at all. Or maybe I just won't take the assignment again when it, when you know when it's offered to me because it's not it's not a good practice reviewing things without seeing the ending. I just I don't like it. It's not sitting well with me at all. Uh, Rebecca, another thing that didn't sit well with me. I watched this the other night. Um, it was fucking boring. It was a snooze and a half. Okay. Ben Wheatley. I'm not a Ben Wheatley guy. I, I, you know, I think that's what I realized about myself watching this. It just Killis was okay. Sightseers is the best thing that he's done. Free Fire was hot garbage. Uh, I just don't. Then, like, he was out of his element on this one. I get why you would hire Ben Wheatley to do something like this, but on, uh, I mean, Rebecca, it's a ghostless ghost story. I don't think he ever got like the psychological element of it. I mean, it, it looks good. Like, like the cinematography is good. The, the costumes and production design are gorgeous. He clearly had some money here, but this movie didn't raise my pulse at all. It, it wasn't scary. I just, and I, and I didn't see the original Rebecca. I haven't seen the Hitchcock Rebecca. Half the reviews compare it to that movie. Like, you know, just like, um, what am I, what am I looking at? The Boys in the Band. So that, that, that's the next movie we're going to talk about. But like, you know, a lot of gay critics stepped up to review The Boys in the Band. They're all talking about, well, compared to the original Friedkin movie or, or the Broadway play, it's this, this, and this. I didn't, I have no familiarity with The Boys in the Band. I didn't know what it was. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know what it was. And I watched it this week on Netflix. I thought it was pretty damn good. That was almost great. Fantastic cast all the way around. Robin Jesus impressed the hell out of me. Love Zach Quinto. Jim Parsons was good. Charlie Carver. Like everybody was just very good. The script was fantastic. I mean, that's what happens when you take a seminal text like that 
um, you know, I just, some people were really getting down on, on the boys in the band. And uh, again, as someone who had no real familiarity or not, nothing invested in this text, I thought it was great. You know, you don't, you don't have to be a gay guy to enjoy a, just a delicious script and the, these kinds of uh, performances and characters. Like, definitely check out the boys in the band over Rebecca this week. Just just a letdown. And as far as Rebecca and the performances go, Kristen Scott Thomas was good, but Army Hammer seemed totally miscast. He, he felt like the reviews have said stiff and removed and distant. Um, and, and Lily James, she, she does her best, but I'm, I'm not a Lily James guy. She just seems bland. She seems boring. She's not a bad actress. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it seems like anybody could do that. You know, would I have preferred someone... Maybe like Felicity Jones? I think so. Just the character turn for Lily James, like it just made no sense. She was one character for an hour and a half and then she's someone else for the next half hour. I didn't buy it. God, we're going to run long on this episode. Sorry. The Lie, uh, the Blumhouse, welcome to the Blumhouse movie. Nope. (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. (laughs) I mean, an interesting like big twist at the end. It is a big swing, but I hate those kinds of things that just invalidate the entire movie that came before it. It's, it's bullshit. It's total bullshit. Marie Enos was going real big in this one. And Joey King, who I thought was fantastic in the act. I, I didn't really like her in this. Peter Sarsgaard was good, but the lie was definitely disappointing. And as a result, I don't think I'm going to be watching any of the other welcome to the Blumhouse titles. The only one I really wanted to, the other one I wanted to see was Nocturne, but the reviews on that one, it's just like, Listen, if these were like good movies, you'd be forced to pay for them on VOD or, you know, Blumhouse would hold them over in a theater for next year. Instead, they just package them and they say, welcome to Blumhouse. And it's an event on Amazon. This is like Blumhouse garbage. What do you want me to say? I mean, Blumhouse used to make a ton of these movies and they'd, they would just pop up on Netflix. They'd, they'd, they'd disappear. And uh, yeah, this is... This is in that camp, unfortunately. I, I have a feeling. I haven't heard anybody doing backflips about any of the Welcome to Blumhouse titles. Uh, Jimmy O. Yang has this new movie, The Opening Act. I forget, it's Steve, is it Steve Byrne? I forget who the, the director's last name, but uh, he's a, a comedian himself. Uh, I don't want to blow that. Hold on. The Opening Act director, Steve. Steve Byrne. I was right. I knew it. Steve Byrne did a good job with this. This is a, a small indie produced by Vince Vaughn, Jimmy O. Yang playing like a stand-up comic who has a lot to learn and embarks, you know, g- gets a gig opening for Cedric the Entertainer um, and, uh, and Alex Moffat, I believe, from, from SNL. This movie had a lot of heart. I thought it was sweet. I mean, yeah, it's not going to change any lives, but had some laughs, made me feel good. Check out the opening act on VOD this week. Check out Vampires vs. the Bronx on Netflix. That was very charming. And I really liked uh, the, the young kids in that. The kid with the glasses. I think he was actually, I think he's going to be in the In the Heights movie. I forget his name. Um, but he was good. I watched, God, fucking Hubie Halloween, Adam Sandler. I think I talked about that last week. That, that was no bueno. I mean watchable strangely strangely watchable because of the cast but it just adam sandler please you got to have somebody in his life who just tells him no the dark and the wicked everybody was doing backflips you know about this one coming out of the festivals a few months ago no didn't really do much for me 
Ryan Bertino. I don't know if he'll ever end up topping the, the, the strangers. Um, this was just like a lot of atmosphere in, in search of a better story, right? The devil's here. The devil's among us. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Synchronic. This uh, from Benson and Moorhead was much better than The Endless. I will say that. This is a big leap for them. This is about a, you know, these paramedics, Jamie Dorn and Anthony Mackey, they start showing up at these crime scenes and, and these teens have overdosed on this drug, Synchronic. And Mackey, uh, who's dealing with a, a serious health issue himself, decides, what the fuck? I'm going to take it, see what this is all about. And rather than, you know, time moving in a straight line like this, time moves like, the, it, 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 it's more like an elevator almost. So it's like, depending on where you're sitting, where you take this drug, you sort of fall through time. And, you know, you could be back in the 1700s, you could be back 10 years ago, it all depends where you are, which, again, I don't know if that made 100% sense. But at least it was interesting. This movie played like the fountain meets Project Power or something. Um, And I didn't I didn't necessarily love the ending. But uh, I thought I thought these directors did a good job considering what was surely a low budget. Mackie did a good job. Um. Even Jamie Dornan was okay. Well, I think he, he was a, he's a little limited. Little little limited. You're, you're starting to see those limitations. We also got a first look at him in, in Wild Mountain Time with John Hamm and, and Emily Blunt. So hopefully they can uh, can raise his game for, for that director. Um, I started watching the 40-year-old version. I love the first 15 minutes. I'm going to finish that soon. Um, and I watched the first half hour of Shithouse, which I do want to finish uh, just had some some pacing issues there. It seemed like a, a promising debut, but at the same time, I'm not ready to to give that one uh, you know festival awards like like it won itself. South, South I got to finish that. Um, mailbag, real quick. Will Jerjulis is Collider FYC still coming back this year? Also, who are some of your dark horses for the big awards this year? I haven't seen a lot of the awards movies, so to speak. I, I haven't seen Uncle Frank Minari. You know, Stephen Stephen Yen could be big. Um, to me, I'm just going to say Riz Ahmed for, for The Sound of Metal, which I still have not gotten a link to Amazon. What the hell? Anyways, is Collider FYC still coming back this year? Yes, it is. It's just about finding the right peg. Um, I, we had all thought Mank was going to be coming out in October, November, and I wanted to do an episode tied to Mank, but it looks like that is now early December, so we may have to wait a little bit longer. Again, it, it seems like we should be doing the show a lot right now, but keep in mind that the season has been extended until the end of February, uh so you know if we do start picking things up in december which i hope we do then yeah there should be listen there's gonna be plenty to discuss and plenty of time to discuss if the oscars are not until april aman puni asks whatever happened to daniel craig starring creed of violence you know i did break that story a while ago uh obviously you know daniel craig had a, a breakout hit with with knives out and they wanted back for a sequel to that Bond's been delayed, so you know it's like he can't go off and do a movie because he's going to have to do press eventually for that. Um, I, I mean, listen, I, ha- I, I the pandemic has changed everything, right? It's changed everybody's finances and 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 the books. So what made sense, you know, six eight months ago may not make sense anymore, particularly in a, in a landscape without theaters. So maybe Creed of Violence is one of those the victims of the pandemic. Maybe you know I don't know how close it was to the finish line, but. Yes, they were definitely uh, talking to Daniel Craig about Raw Bone, right? Raw Bone, not Raw Bone, I forget. Two more questions. Travis Willick, hey, Jeff, the Snyder Cut's awesome, blah, 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 blah. 
have I heard any movement about Don Winslow's The Force? I know cop stories are probably a tough sell given the current climate, but the book is excellent, and I was excited to hear James Mangold is slated to direct. Listen, this is one of my absolute most anticipated movies in development. Uh, Justin Crowell over at Deadline, I know, feels the same way. We love this book by Don Winslow. I, you're right. I don't know with the cop stuff if that changes things. I mean, these are not like, this is like, I don't know if I want to say crooked cops, but like these cops definitely bend the rules. And I don't know if people are going to be rooting that on anymore or if they're going to be condemning that. So it's a great question. I haven't heard anything. I think Mangold has, has a bunch of other things on his plate. Um, hopefully it comes together at some point, but yeah, they may have to wait a little while for things to, to die down, so to speak on that front. And then Derek Wilder Jr. asked with all the movies being delayed and not making their original release dates. Do I know if studios were given extensions from banks to pay back the loans to develop all these movies? I know theaters are in financial trouble. So could some of these studios at some point, uh, everybody's in financial trouble. Everybody's feeling the pinch right now, Derek. Do I think that banks are, are you know, defaulting, you know, are, I'm going to call studios on defaulting the loans or some shit. No, because, you know, ultimately they want to be in business with these studios when they do open back up. Uh, see, listen, I don't know all the, the lines of credit and the financial, financial uh, specifics of everything, but um, I haven't heard any stories about the banks banging down studios doors for their money back. So anyways, we're running long. That'll do it for this episode of the Snyder cut. Thanks for watching. I'm at the Insider on Twitter, Instagram, Cameo. Buy a Cameo, $14.99. Don't make me raise the prices, guys, because I will. I don't know how that would help. Anyways, I'll see you next week on the Snyder Pack here Collider. Hey, little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig is the perfect gift or addition to a small gathering. The Home Bar makes over 30 drinks from cosmopolitans to old fashions at the push of a button. Just insert the pod, press start, and enjoy. Each Drinkworks pod contains real ingredients and premium spirits. For a limited time, get $50 off the Home Bar with promo code PLAY. Go to drinkworks.com to order now. Drinkworks, press play. Keurig is a registered trademark of Keurig Green Mountain, Inc. Used under license. Please enjoy responsibly.